Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can also subscribe at Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify to listen to, to the uh, podcast in addition to the YouTube channel. You can also check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. There you'll find early access to reviews for movies that are coming out. Um, little uh, write-ups on movies, older movies and TV shows that I'm watching for the first time. And this month, uh, for some patrons, uh, you're basically getting updated uh, sort of mini-reviews on the DCEU in preparation for Zack Snyder's Justice League. That's at patreon.com backslash sonicsema. This episode is, um, it's actually filling a bit of a blind spot for me over the years. I had heard about this movie. I was familiar um, with the movie's reputation, but I hadn't seen it yet. Um, and with the uh, upcoming release uh, of Criterion Channel, or Criterion Collection's uh, box set for director uh, Wong Kar Wai, I decided it was time to Go ahead and um, watch his 2000 movie, In the Mood for Love, for the first time. And join me to discuss it is filmmaker Christopher Denunzio. Thank you very much for joining me, Chris. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. What was your first experience uh, watching In the Mood for Love? Um, so mine was, oh, it's, it's a nice one, actually, because uh, it was... Uh, Way it was pretty much when it was released in, uh, but I think I released here in 2021. Sorry, 21. Sorry, 2001. <laughs> yeah, I believe, you know, that, I believe that's when it hit the uh, states. Yeah. Okay, so it must have. So it had to be a couple years after which I met my now fiance, and she was studying film as well. And she uh, introduced me to the film, and I immediately fell in love with the cinematography. Mm-hmm. And that was just, you know, and then thankfully we're still together. So, <laughs> that, you know, that kept it going. But that was my first time in the early 2000s. Had to be a few years after it was released. I didn't see it right away. Um, and, and then she introduced it to me and I was immediately, I was hooked. And then it just seems like each year that love gets stronger and stronger for that film for me. Mm-hmm. Had you seen any of uh, Wong Karwe's films prior to In the Mood for Love? I don't think so. I thought I did. No, I didn't. Because then after that, I, I became a big fan of Christopher Doyle and then and then Wong Kar Wai, and, I, and, I, and that's when I started watching the older films that they worked on together, um, which you got like Chunking Express and things like that. And I did have a huge tsunami. I'm just a huge fan of all of them now and the whole the whole style and everything. Yeah, um, I had. Well, I mean, like I said, this was I just uh, watched this for the first time in. Uh, preparation for this podcast and uh funny because of the fact that i'm actually going to be talking about this on a podcast i'm going to be guessing on when it comes to music and uh as far as and film soundtracks and the cinematography by christopher doyle is justly famous for this movie it's absolutely a beautiful movie to watch and uh one of the thing but one of the things i've noticed i'm I actually watched it a couple of times in the past week or so in preparation for both of those podcasts is the, the use of music. And I, I love 
the the thing that is interesting about music and it's not just how you it's not just where you put music it's where you don't put music i think oh, yeah. just as important in a movie and one car way uses music very sparingly in this film and there are only a couple of main pieces that come into play that are really kind of motifs that uh go throughout the film um as we uh, go through the emotional journey that the uh, characters go through in this film. And that that's one of the things that really struck me in watching the film, apart from just how beautiful it is. Um, yeah, it really gets into that point where you get the, uh, it's such a visual moving film, you see the actual motion of the film, and then the music of the film. Really, like, they have these moments, and they all really come together and tie together, and there is this kind of, even when you look at the cinematography, it's just, uh, it's, you know, besides just being beautifully shot, the, the, the framing within a framing, the kind of feeling of always kind of being, has that feeling of always being watched. And then also like you see them returning to these areas and there's big kind of like circular motion of everything. You know what I mean? Like the relationship, everything just kind of going around and it all, all elements this is a good film because it's a good example of when, you always get those little arguments. What's more important, the script, this or that? And you can say all of it. And this yeah. is a good example. <laughs> it really does do a great job of everything. Well, and there are some there are some key choices in this movie and the way that he tells this story that I think are crucial to the success of this story. So if you haven't had a chance to watch In the Mood for Love, it is on Criterion Channel right now. And I know it was on HBO Max for a while. I can't remember if it's still on there but um so the story of this is basically you get two couples who rent rooms in the same apartment building and they move in at the same time and throughout the film you only see two of the uh two of the partners in each respective marriage uh, the woman um, who's played by uh, Maggie Chung, and then the uh, man who's played by uh, Tony Lung. And it's, it's fascinating because and the key thing that is so unique about this movie, and I think it is part of the reason the movie works as well as it does as a narrative, is the fact that we we hear their spouses, but we never see their spouses. And part of the reason that's so important is because of the fact that both um, Mrs. Chan, uh, Maggie Chung's character, and uh, Mr. Chow, Tony Lung's character, start to suspect that their partners are having affairs and they're mm -hmm. having to have, they're having affairs with one another. And we see the film entirely from their perspective it is set in 1962, uh, Hong Kong. And it's just, it's fascinating to watch. It's such a simple premise, but it's anything but a simple movie. And I think that's one of the real strengths of what Wong Kar Rai is doing in this I movie. totally agree with you. I think also the fact that you have just the two people, but you're still uh, very conscious of the four people involved. Yeah. So there's still this kind of broader range of characters. Uh, even though the cinematography is so gorgeous and it moves so well, 
there really is actually not too many spaces. Mm-hmm. So it's like a great example of like one, just simplicity and just well execution. And it's especially from like, a, from a filmmaker standpoint, it's great to see like, look what I can do with little. Yeah. Uh, I'm going from a story aspect, making this, this stuff, everything feel bigger from the way the visuals are using very little spaces. But, um, but I, I agree with the whole, the whole premise of like them two and not seeing the other and the, the relationship they build. It's really beautiful. It's like um, there's just always this kind of with them too the um, the restrict you know the restrictions that they put on each other. Yeah, it's you know you kind of see that as it progresses. Like there's always these misconnections with them, but it's like almost there. Um, but it's just uh, it's one of those things too. They're both of their performances are just are just so phenomenal, and it's like you so easily uh, call for these characters because because it's another thing I love about the story is how human it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and there's a level of irony to the title because of yep. the restrictions that they uh, put on themselves to not get involved themselves with each other. And uh, I, I think that's, and you see these moments, they have these moments together where they're sort of almost play acting how they would, con- okay. either how they would confront their own spouses. Or how there's how they imagine their spouses might have gotten involved, and that's one of the thing. It's it's such a it's such a deceptively simple story. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Yeah, I love it. And one one um, I'm such a big fan too. I remember uh, I mean, I'm such a huge fan of Christopher Doyle too. There's a um, I'm blanking on who who did it. I want I want to say it was like. Uh, seventh art or one of those places they were in toronto and there's a great interview with christopher doyle it's only like not that old uh like an hour long that's that's great um but just you know digressing a little bit here. but i watching him too um that scene when they were in you know the big scene where they're kind of walking around outside and it's a very like kind of rustic looking wall mm-hmm. what was really cool is, is you get cool videos of how they shot that and that was actually i think that part was actually in thailand but they were going for that 1960s China feel. Mm-hmm. And there's just, it's just amazing like to see like when he, the way they work and walk through and the talk. Cause I think, uh, one car pretty much only had like an outline, I believe yeah. how they started. And, and I have heard he's very like, um, he's very up for interpretations and other people's doing, you know, he's, he's, he seems open-minded and he has this kind of collaborative process, which is pretty cool. But um, I always remember that is hearing about how he really uses things like that. Um, and then when you see Doyle and the way they're just working on the visuals, like I think when he's in that scene, it's as simple as like they're just showing you how you could shoot something, and then he just like literally finds this little alley and goes through, and then all of a sudden he creates one of those famous frame within a frame shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty cool behind the scenes stuff if you if you look up the cinematographer because he's so connected to it. He's got some great great stuff to show you some more insight on it, but. Um, I just, I just, again, when he, he's really one of the reasons I love the film because I, me, I can just watch a film visually. It mm-hmm. turns handy to me, and it's just the motion that the the actors carry, the way they move, um, how simple they move through the scenes, and then just just the way the whole thing just kind of develops. It's just such a beautiful story. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, there the thing is, it's like even though it's focused on these two main characters, it's like. There are plenty of other characters around them. There's the couples from that they are renting from, and they have these 
and one of them has these games of mahjong that go on throughout the night sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the one of, one of the best scenes I think in the entire movie, or at least one of the most entertaining scenes, is when um, they're having they're actually having the mahjong scene. Uh, game over at where uh, Mr. Chow is staying and there's they're in his room together and they feel oh, like yeah. they have to basically stay in the room all night because yes. <laughs> so to not elicit suspicion as far as what may or may not be going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was a, that is a great scene. I love that. And that's when they share noodles or something like that, and they're just yeah. kind of waiting. <laughs> they're just kind of waiting. Yeah, that was, that was absolutely that was a great scene. I also like uh, the character's friend at, at work. Yeah, he, he he's just such a he just seems like such a goofball, but he kind of adds a nice dynamic from whatever because they're very serious and very you know it's very introspective and all that. And then you got him, and he's he's one of those doesn't give like it's not like it's a comic relief punch, but he's just it's just something about him that I like kind of loosens things up as yeah. as you. As you face things, just the way he acts and and all that. When he's the one who he's the one who makes him suspicious of his wife. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> I I love that the scene before that with them is basically him coming in. And it's like, hey, I need I need like thirty dollars to okay. <laughs> I, I need money after getting out of the hospital, and it's like going through that. Story. It's like, yeah, you're right. There is some comic relief in there, but at the same time, it's it's uh, there. There's also a friendly dynamic to it yep. that also comes through. And it's nice because I feel like there's moments like that you'll get, and they break they break it up from the seriousness of everything. Yeah, it's not something that's big laugh out loud funny or anything, but it's like those nice. You know, the whole film has a lot of subtleties to it, so it's like as it's like one of those other many layers that this film just goes through. And also just the use of color is just outstanding. Mm-hmm. So uh, especially the dresses that uh, uh, Maggie Chung uses yeah. are just amazing. Them and the patterns on them is just it's, a, it's like I said it's a, it's definitely a visual visual, visual feast, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a beautiful it's it's a beautiful movie to just look at. I mean, it is it's and that's something that I've noticed in other Wong Kar Wai films that I've seen, like Twenty Four yeah. Six and. Um, I'm trying to. It is uh, his section of the uh, anthology film Eros. Did you ever see oh, yeah. that one? Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, just, but yeah, the 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 visual aspect of that, and uh, just just in general, like it's it's been said, just the way he shoots smoking, like is oh, just yeah. really beautiful. And, <laughs> I like that. It almost has that French cinema type of vibe because you can watch a lot of French cinema. Then after that, you're like, I'm gonna get a pack of cigarettes or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> they make um, it they make it work, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and the scene it is funny. It's like it it's it's interesting to hear that like he's very open to interpretation with his actors because one of the film, and I think one of the reasons we talked about this movie for the first time was. Uh, you know, it he some of the movies that I've seen of his sort of remind me of Kubrick. It's like yeah. he, he really strikes me in as kind of a perfectionist in the way he shoots things and the the yeah. in in the way his character his performers move and the way he uses music and as well. 
Yeah, just see, I just think he's very much. Uh, I think he's just very good clever. But it just you know. But he, uh, um, I know I've heard stuff with Doyle say they'll frame something, and he just literally looks at Doyle and goes, "Chris, you can do better." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's a way of like, and he's like, "God damn it, he was already right." <laughs> you know, but, but I think there's a way. You know, he has. A, he, has a, he seems to have a way. He seems to be able to work with people really well. But I think he has more of a subtle way of pushing that. So if people are bringing something to the table, it seems like he's willing to accept that, but he's going to still have his hand in it and bring it into the next level. Because you look at In the Mood for Love, it looks extremely well-crafted and intentional. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is extremely well-crafted, but it looks very intentional. You know, it looks like he had a big script, like things pinpointed down. You did, I, I forget how long it took. It was, it was over, and it was over a year. I just can't remember, like, how the filming process went, but it was a long filming process. Yeah. And I know he takes a long time, too, so... Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, and uh, you look at a scene like the, and one of the scenes that really kind of reminds me of uh, the way Kubrick was choosing is uh, the the scene in the diner where they're oh, yeah. asking, you know, they're they're basically dancing around these, you know, she's asking questions of him as far as like, or he's asking questions of her as far as like a bag for. He she wants he wants to get oh, yes, one yes. of her bags and the then he, mentioned, or he mentions the tie and basically it's them kind of dancing around what we've already come to suspect. Yeah, yeah, I love those shots. Well, I'm a good I'm a big fan of anything shot in a diner type of thing. So that's awesome when you get like Hong Kong diner feel and they have the jade cups. Yeah, <laughs> the coffee. So that's a great scene and I like that one too because that was the whole point with the uh, like yeah. He almost he wasn't even thinking straight where it's that whole like you want the same purse that she's got that you know your neighbor is gonna have mm -hmm. uh, and, and then he that was a great I like that a lot. <laughs> uh, I want I want to touch a little bit on the ending and Ooh. because of the fact that I've watched it a couple of times and it's 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 really kind of interesting because we you know we we go a little bit further in time like a yeah. year passes and he goes. He goes to Singapore to uh, work at a newspaper, and uh, she's stuck in Hong Kong. And then a few years pass after that, and uh, you know, you get the impression that their and their lives have essentially moved on. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because of the fact that one of the time they and they sort of have these these times in passing words, like they may connect with one another, but they also don't. And yeah. She and we see her later, and uh, she has a kid, and it it it's sort of we don't necessarily get a question about as to whether she's still with her husband at the time, and also whether he's with his wife. Yeah, that that's definitely they leave they definitely leave some interpretation there. That's one of the things I like a lot about art house films too. Is sometimes they they allow you to like think about these things along. Um, but I, yeah, that tape goes back to when I was talking about it in the beginning about like how things kind of come circular Yeah. and that cinematographer too, cinematography too, is about like how there's a lot of frames that are in frames that, that give you that kind of distance, that give you that feel about being watched, but then it also has a disconnection type of feel. And I feel like that kind of comes full circle at the end where they keep missing each other. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's always that, there's that, there's always that slight disconnect. Like they can never really kind of figure it out. And for me, that's what I kind of took away more at the end of anything. It's just like how how something beautiful could have almost happened. Yeah. 
it's in that that's kind of like that. Oh, <laughs> you know? and, and it it really makes you it it really makes you feel for them because of the fact that it's like they they work so hard to dance to not give in to any romantic urges that they might have had towards each other that they may have lost something. And that ending scene with uh, him in Cambodia is just going back to one of the uh, conversations that he's had with his, uh, he had with his friend um, really, really makes you, makes you realize that, uh, you know, he, he probably feels like he probably should have taken more chances at, by the end. Yeah, and that's like what a great life thing, right? It doesn't like reflect at one point in life going, ah, should I, like, you know, <laughs> should I take that chance? Should I have done that? Uh, which I believe too when he was whispering the secret into the the, the wall, right? Yeah. Which yeah. Which, the, which that plays a big uh, role in the sequel, which is twenty forty six, and uh, which is actually in the film in, in the movie Love, the hotel room he's at is actually twenty forty six, yeah. which where the the sequel, which I think is, I love things like that. I love the little, the little connections. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just think it, again, it's so great. It's so it, it's everything. You know, you get a lot of that. You get you see in the beginning, in the middle, how they're just um, and they're fighting that, and then just seeing those misconnections at the end. I think it just it leads to that human emotion. And we can all relate to that, mm-hmm. like missing on you know those misconnections. Those like what would have happened if I'd done this? Like, I've taken a chance with that. And then, uh, yeah, I think it wraps up pretty nicely, though. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 a wonderful film. Again, it is is for sure on the Criterion Channel, and I do believe it is on HBO Max still. Um, so, if you haven't had a chance to watch it, uh, I I love the the second you really start to give yourself over to world cinema. I I think you're you're options as a moviegoer just exponentially rise and yeah. they, they get richer and richer and it's like one car away is one of those filmmakers who it's like i'm still just at the start of getting to know as a filmmaker but i mean i know this one definitely makes me uh curious to i probably won't necessarily put down for the box set but i mean i definitely want to watch more of his films and i and yeah, I, I definitely now want to watch 2046 in context of having seen In the Mood for Love because, yeah. I, and I, you know, I think even like one go back, like um, Chunking Express and Falling Angels, those are, another, those are again, him and Doyle as a director DP work together. And there's still, there's a vibe that kind of goes into it. And, and when you start to go back, you see a lot of films they work on and you can see how that climax is like In the Mood for Love. Yeah. Uh, you know they did work. I believe I'm pretty sure they both worked each other in 2046 as well. But still, it was it was really uh, in Move for Love where they just like you could see them hit their top performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I love. I mean, I love world cinema. I think if you're like one of those people that get kind of bored and you're just watching certain type of films over and over again, I think one thing world cinema uh, does is when you start paying attention to that, you start looking outside your own comfort level. One, you see how much people are like each other. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like <laughs> we can relate to this story because, you know, it's a couple in Hong Kong, but we can really, we can, we have uh, human emotions, we can relate to them. Uh, that, and then just the fact of like, 
you always get presented with new visuals, new things, new new customs, and it's uh, it can be you can also use it. It can just be quite stimulating, and also, uh, you know, there's other other countries make classics. Yeah. <laughs> there's other great films out there. Yeah, I I actually just watched um, for uh, one of my repertory reviews today. I I actually just watched my first film from uh, Agnes uh, Varda. Oh, okay. And, uh, I I just watched Cleo from uh, five to seven, and I I thought it was wonderful. And what? it's funny because of the fact that it's like one of the things that struck me was it's like I would if it would not surprise me at one one bit if Richard Linklater was inspired by this to do the before movies the way he did. Oh yeah, because it's very much in that same vein of the way uh, the stories are told. But yeah, I mean, I'm so I'm looking forward to getting into more of her work. Truffaut is somebody I absolutely adore. Oh, yeah. Truffaut Kurosawa, Tarkovsky yep. is one of my all-time favorites. Same here. Yeah, I love that. Oh, I love him. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, it's like, especially if you, you know, it's like, it, especially with somebody like Kurosawa, where it's like, you can see where your favorite some of your favorite Hollywood movies got their inspiration from. Well, even like where well, you got Corsair, like well, I can't remember. Is it if it's a? Uh, I believe you would say it's a fistful of dollars. I forget what's one of the first one. It one of the first two in that trilogy. There's a you go ahead and you look at um, Sergio Leone's Good, the Bad, the Ugly, and all those, all those that, that matches up with a lot of old like. Sorry, I just I just got those confused, but but Corsair, a lot of old samurai films match up to a lot of that Sergio Leone cowboy film. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. And there's a lot of like there's a you you see those like parallels very easy, and then you can see that again translate. They they really do work um, in different elements, you know. Um, you could again you could see that influence, and it's like it's worth going back to check it because they're great films. They, there's a lot of people that have ideas that are just that are amazing and and just. Also, just the type of eras. Like you're looking at Kurosawa. I remember when Takeshi Miike. I'm, I'm blanking on his film he made. He made a very big um, samurai film. Now that he has been doing as of recently too, and it was you know in your mid 2000. And he talks about the idea of like back then too, like not being able. Used to be able to get all these guys who can ride horses yeah. and the horse riding, and then now that's kind of a lost art in the cinema of Japan. So not many people can do that. There's more specialized people. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting because like where i'm going with that is just the how, how like you can see how these films just progress and how this just cinema changes like over the years yeah. but then again reconnecting with those uh you know you could be the artist that finds something that you connect with and it works into your your work i mean there's a lot there's just a lot of great ideas out there and going back i love japanese cinema a lot too i mean especially we had early 2000 that horror boom the j-horror mm-hmm I, I almost always liked the original better, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we're really creative, you know? And it's like, it's uh, that's why it's always good to be versed and check things out. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you very much for uh, joining me today to talk about this. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Like I said, I love this film and uh, I hope people uh, check it out and, and enjoy it. I'd like to thank Christopher for uh, joining me to discuss In the Mood for Love, uh, Wong Kar Wai's uh, the Criterion Collections One Car Way box set comes out on Tuesday, March 23rd, and uh, it's well worth checking out. And um, that's it for this episode of the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Coming up, we 
uh, talk about one of the great anime directors of all time. And we're also going to be starting a new segment, or I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make a new segment. It's about uh, movies from the past and whether they uh, hold up on their own merits versus whether they just are sort of established classics. And I'm looking forward to sharing that discussion with you, and I think it's going to be a yearly thing that I uh, continue. For now, though, this is Brian Scuttle. Uh, subscribe at the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel or at Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. You can also check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. But as always, the main place to uh, keep up with me is at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you.